scripture today is Luke 16, 19 through 31, commonly called the rich man and Lazarus. Before we read the scripture, let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, prepare our hearts to receive your word. And may your word do its work to show, our, show us ourselves. Um, we ask, as David asked, that uh, search our hearts and see if there is any wicked or unclean way in our own hearts. And turn us away from our selfishness and pride and turn us to your glory and grace, your goodness, your mercy found in Christ Jesus. Pray that we, you would grant us all faith to hear and to receive this. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, O oh, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and, and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime, received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and then none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And so today we're going to consider what it means that God knows our hearts and as I was thinking about this here, I was thinking about how, as a father, I try to get to know the hearts of my children. You know, what, what, I try to figure out what do they love, what fascinates and delights them, what frightens or saddens them. And as I'm raising them, I'm realizing this is a big part of, 
of being a good dad because each child is different. And if I'm going to lead them to grow in wisdom and godliness, then I need to learn to know their hearts. And we think of God, who is our heavenly Father, and He perfectly knows our hearts. Now Jesus, He's telling this parable here to the Pharisees. And he, he tells this to them to warn them and remind them that God knows your heart. Uh, he, he's, this is part of a teaching series, a, t- a lengthier teaching section. He had just finished teaching about the parable of the dishonest manager. And he had warned them in verse 13, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and he, he will despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And the word for that we translate money here, right, some of the older versions say mammon, because it was one word that just encompassed all this world's goods, just money, stuff, things, materialism, all the, thing, the stuff that we might set our hearts on in this world. You cannot serve God and money. And it says, but the Pharisees ridiculed Jesus because they loved money. And so Jesus warned them again, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. And so maybe you and I can justify ourselves before men in this life, but God knows our heart. And we cannot justify our hearts or disguise our hearts from him. And to show this, to illustrate this, Jesus teaches the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. So from this parable, we see that the Lord looks at the heart. And so let's let's dig into this parable here. Right away, we're presented with two men, and we have the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man, he's not given a name. We're just told that he's fabulously wealthy, so I'm going to call him Richie, and that's what I'm going to call him today. (laughs) Richie, the rich man, Richie. And it just says he loved luxury. He loved clothing himself with purple. This is not because he was a, was a Vikings fan. It's because purple was the most expensive cloth in the Mediterranean in that time. You could only, it was like made from some jellyfish in, that only found in one corner of the Mediterranean. So only royalty and the fabulously wealthy could wear purple. They were the only ones who could afford it. And he also wore fine linen. This would be the softest, most comfortable cloth you could wear in that day. So the rich man, Richie, he just, he wrapped himself up in comfort and luxury and prestige every day. And then it says he feasted sumptuously. And sumptuously means here really expensive and really good. And thinking about really good food here, I'm reminded of the last time I went through Stillwater, I, there was a, a meat and cheese shop there that Rachel and I went into, and they slice the sweet meats and the cheeses in-house right there for you, and they have dozens of both. And we, we could not afford very much of it. So I tried to just stretch that out over several days just by like just enjoying one small bite a day just to stretch that experience out as far as I could. But this man, Richie, he didn't have to do that. He could have as much as he wanted every day. The best that money could buy. 
And this was his whole life. Every day was a feast for him. And now the other man you see here, Lazarus. And this is, one of those, this is the only parable where a man in the parable is given a name. And it means a lot because the name Lazarus means God is my help. And so we're, we're, Jesus wants us to know right away, this poor man trusts in God. His name is God is my help. And Lazarus, he was different from Richie in every way. He was poor. He was so weak he couldn't move himself. It says that he, someone else dropped him off at the gate of the rich man's property. And so you could think of this, like imagine like a, a billionaire's house that has this huge yard, courtyard around the property, and that yard is surrounded by a huge high gate, and there's this big sliding door at the front that you have to, you know, you have to, to get in, you have to drive up to the gate, and a guard has to let you in, has to slide the gate. So just out, I mean, so Richie's house would have been like that, minus, you know, the cars and the computers. But he would have had a gated property, and Lazarus would have been dropped off right outside the gate to give him the best possible chance of, of receiving some help, receiving some mercy. And it says that Lazarus' skin was covered in sores and ulcers and boils that, that blistered and oozed. So he was not clothed in fine cloth or purple. He was covered in pain and anguish and suffering. And it says that he, he longed just for the leftover crumbs from Richie's table. And anyone with young kids knows that, that your toddlers leave lots of crumbs at the table, crackers, bread crusts, applesauce, all of it, lots of crumbs after every meal, and it all goes under the table down on the ground. And my wife and I, we, we sweep that up usually every day. But Richie, he, he just every, after every meal, he would have had his servants come, and they would have swept it up. And they would have taken those crumbs and either thrown them away or they could have given them to the poor. And that is the best that Lazarus could have hoped for, is the crumbs that fell out of another person's mouth. And the only comfort he got was from the dogs. And these are not pets, these are wild dogs who roam the streets. Wild dogs who came, it says they came and licked his sores. So if you can... Imagine that here. They weren't as cute as this dog, but uh, um, this is, was, once upon a time, my dog. Um, that, but they, they weren't as cute as, but, and there's a myth here. I don't know if you've ever heard the myth of that, that dogs licking can actually heal you, but I'd, I'd heard this, so I decided to look it up. And there's a little bit of truth to this, because dogs, you know, they have a really rough tongue, and so that rough tongue actually can clean surface wounds. And the enzymes in dog saliva actually heals cuts and scratches. But those enzymes are meant to heal dog skin, not your skin. So maybe they will help you, maybe not. Also, in dog's mouth is all sorts of other disgusting things. So the dog's licking you is just as likely to infect you as it is to help you. So actually, these dogs licking him might have actually just made him worse. Uh, instead of better. And so the earthly state of these two men, it, it could not be more different. No. And their eternal destination could not be more different. And, and Jesus doesn't tell us outright why one goes to heaven and one goes to hell. He, hi, he, 
He gives us clues. He hides the reason in the details of the story. And so it tells us Lazarus died. It doesn't even mention he was buried. Just he died. And the angels carried his soul to Abraham's bosom. Now Abraham's bosom here is, is a relational picture of heaven. And so in Lazarus, he is close to Abraham. Like a child being held in his father's arms and just being embraced by his father. He belongs with him. And what they share in common is faith in God. Lazarus was the spiritual child of Abraham because of their faith in God. Richie, on the other hand, ended up in hell. And it tells us he was buried, so he probably, a rich man, he had this elaborate burial. It does not tell us how he got there. It seems like he almost is surprised to wake up and find himself there. And even though while there, he continually calls Abraham father. In truth, he is separate, as separate from Abraham as could possibly be. And Richie uses this three times. He goes, oh, father, Abraham, have mercy on me. And, oh, oh, father, I beg you, send Lazarus to my brother's house. No, no, father, if you send someone from the dead, they will listen and repent. He keeps calling Abraham his father. He calls upon him as his biological father. But even though Richie maybe is a physical child of Abraham, he is not a spiritual child of Abraham. Because in their hearts, Richie and Abraham could not be more different. Abraham is the father of all who believe. Abraham was righteous because of his faith in God, not because he lived a perfect life. And if you read through Genesis, Abraham's life is far from perfect. And the apostle Paul taught who the true children of Abraham are. We find this in Galatians 3, 7 through 9. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations will be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so the biggest difference between these two men was their hearts. Richie didn't, we're not told of any great evils. He, I'll say great evils with money ears of what, what the world thinks of and, and God thinks too. You know, we're not told about murder or lying or adultery, the ones that obviously come to our minds. And, and Lazarus didn't earn his way there by good works because clearly he was too helpless to have done anything good. The Lord looked at their hearts. He judged their hearts. And now the rich man absolutely was condemned for his actions as well because those flowed out of his selfish heart. But to be very clear, Lazarus was not saved by his good actions, but because he trusted in God. His heart relied on nothing else but God alone. And so Jesus' warning to the Pharisees was this, how are you like Richie? And the warning is the same to us. How are we looking at our hearts? Do we see any of that spirit of Richie there? Have we set our heart on the wealth and goods of this world? 
Is it your goal to have the good life? Are we so busy pursuing, seeking after comfort that we can't take time to help a neighbor? That we can't take time to reflect on God and his word? And I'm not saying this because I think this is, this is true of any of you. Because ever, ever since I've been here, you have all just shown eagerness to help anyone in need. And, and, and I'm not condemning relaxation either. There's nothing wrong with enjoying good food and cushioned chairs and sunsets at the lake. But, but I don't know your heart. You know, only you can look at your own heart. And we need to know that even, even fishing can become an idol. Even the lake can become a false god. And so the question to look at your own heart is, do these things control your heart? Or can you say no to them? Does God, is he king of your heart instead? And we're also challenged to ask, well, how can you be like Lazarus? Which is actually maybe surprising here, but it's, the answer is trust God. It's nothing you do. <laughs> it's it's nothing, really nothing to do with you at all. It's turn to God. Listen to his word and follow him. He is the good father who knows your heart. And even though there are ugly things there in your heart, he offers you his love and his grace. And it's Far better to learn this from his word, to let his word show you this in your heart than to learn it from suffering and from affliction. Yet, for many of us, our experience is that when it's in suffering that we learn that God truly is all we need. And if we have him, then we have an eternal hope. And King David, who wrote the Psalms, he wrote this in Psalm 119.71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. David was thankful that the hard times had taught him to trust God and his word. Jesus, in this parable, he is prompting us to think about death. And he wants you to think about death because death decides forever. Death decides forever. The rich man finds himself in hell and he cries out, Oh, Father Abraham, please send Lazarus over, over just to dip his finger in cool water and, and drop it on my tongue just to cool my burning tongue. And if you think about it, this has got to be like the smallest, most basic act of mercy possible and abraham's response is is basically richie you are not owed anything you had every luxury and good possible in life and now you're in anguish and lazarus he had every suffering and misfortune in life and now he is comforted and the point here of this is is not to teach that every poor person will be comforted in heaven and every rich person will suffer. That is not Jesus' point. The reversal is meant to show Richie his wrong. Lazarus in life was outside the gate, suffering, begging for mercy. And the rich man never showed him mercy. 
He could have, but he didn't. He was too selfish. Lazarus received no comfort from this man in his life, and now his comfort is from God in heaven. But now Richie is outside the gate to paradise, and he is, he is suffering, begging for mercy. But Richie has condemned himself because even now, in the suffering of hell, after he's been judged, he can only think of what Lazarus can do for him. I mean, think about that exchange there. He's only thinking of Lazarus about what Lazarus can do for him. He expresses no remorse, no awareness of his selfishness. In fact, he only confirms it. He confirms that the judgment has come and that judgment was just. And now Lazarus, may make it clear again, he was not in heaven because his heart was so pure that it rose up to heaven like a hot air balloon. It says the angels came and they carried his soul to heaven. He trusted in God and God took care of him. The unspoken question for Richie is how did he end up in hell? Well, he was judged for his heart. He loved the world more than he loved God. And you cannot serve two masters. Death decides forever because as, oops, wrong here. as Hebrews 9.27 says, it is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes the judgment. And so we might think of this kind of like a lot of the television performance, uh, the, the TV, the performance competition TV shows we see. A lot of them are, you can think of the singing ones or the dancing ones, but it's a whole season of competitors each episode, and they come on stage and they give their best performance, their best song or best dance. And throughout the season, there will be all sorts of upsets or rematches, even second chances. But at the end of the season, a winner is chosen. And at the end of the season, the numbers are set. They can't go back and change any of them. There are no more chances. And likewise, in this life, death decides forever. And death also decides forever because heaven and hell are separated by a chasm that cannot be crossed. And we shouldn't think of this as a, as a physical chasm. We're talking about spiritual heavenly realms that are beyond our capacity to, to conceptualize and put into space. But the point is that there, there is a separation between heaven and hell that neither side can, can cross. So once you die, there is no changing where you are. And Jesus speaks these words now so that we will think about them in this life. So that you will not be like the rich man who was surprised to find himself in hell. The certainty of death forces us to rethink. And until recently in our society, we've really been able to isolate ourselves from death. Because the sick and the dying are, are kept away from us in quarantine spaces for their own health. And most of us, until COVID came, we... Most of us only encounter death as a statistic, reading that, okay, well, this many thousands of people died from cancer last year, or this, from, this many from heart disease, or this many from COVID. 
And it's really, COVID in the last two years has really changed that for us. It's brought it closer to home. And I, I like to listen to the, the Breakpoint podcast. Um, and they have shared some really good thoughts on this over the last couple of years. And, and I like this one from Timothy Paget, And he said this about the importance of that phrase, memento mori, which is Latin. It means remember the hour of your death. Remember the hour of your death. And he says this here. He says, now we can avoid thinking about these things. We can work ourselves to the bone so that we're too busy. We can delve into every pleasure imaginable so that we're too numb. We can invest our lives into causes and hobbies so that we don't see how empty and meaningless our existence is without God. But there will come a time when none of these is enough. We all have a breaking point in our lives. The death of a loved one, the loss of a job, or as today, the menace of a disease that kills without thought, without malice, and without compassion. It may not come until we face death ourselves, but there will be a moment when none of the things we've built our lives upon will matter at all. At that hour, what will we say is the reason that we live? And the wisdom of Scripture teaches this. Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. There's something about remembering our mortality and the certainty of death someday that teaches our hearts wisdom. And Isaiah 55, 6 and 7 says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Death decides forever. So do not wait. Consider your life. Now examine your own heart. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Listen to his word and apply it to your own heart. And if you see in yourself any spirit of that rich man, then turn to God and trust in him. Don't trust in the riches of this world. Don't even trust in your own heart. Instead, trust the God who promises to pardon you and to carry your soul to heaven. Jesus also teaches that Salvation comes from God's word. And the end of this parable, he really drives this home. Because when Richie realizes that there's no hope for him, he begged Abraham to send Lazarus to warn my brothers. And he actually, he got into an argument with Abraham. He got into an argument with Abraham. Which, if you think about it, this is absurd. The person in hell is arguing with the person in heaven about how God should get people to heaven. I mean, that, that's what the rich man's doing. He's arguing with God about this, which shows us that his heart is still blind. I'm gonna go. So back to the rich man here. He is, he's arguing with Abraham. 
And he's sitting there just in hell, and Lazarus is up in heaven, and the rich man has, he is, his heart is still so blind that he gets into an argument with Abraham about how God should get people into heaven. And this Abraham tells him no. That's what Abraham tells him. And in this conversation, we learn a lot about our hearts and about what changes our hearts and about what saves us. And the first thing we see here is that the threat of hell is not a means of conversion. Richie asked Abraham to send Lazarus back from the dead to go and, and to warn his brothers, warn his brothers that say, hey, Richie is suffering in hell. And unless you repent, that's where you're going to go too. And while this is, this is true, all of that was true, the threat of hell does not turn the heart to love God. Now, if we are willing to listen, it will wake us up to the problem in our heart. But it won't solve that problem. We also see here in, in this parable that, that external miracles do not convert the heart. I'm talking about miracles. Yes, the conversion of your heart is definitely a miracle. I mean miracles in the world around you that you, can, that you observe and see. Richie's, when, when Abraham tells Richie, no, Richie tries again. He says, no, Father Abraham, if someone just come, would come from the dead and go to my brothers, they would repent. I'm sure, Abraham, they would. They would. Send them a miracle, God. But Abraham rejects this also. He says to them, if they do not listen to the word, Moses and the prophets, if they don't listen to the word, they won't be convinced by a man returning from the dead. The unbelieving heart rejects the supernatural, rejects what God's doing, and explains it away even when it's plainly before them. And this denial that Abraham speaks about, it foreshadows the denials of Jesus' resurrection, which we, I'm sure you've heard them before, you know, oh, he wasn't really dead the first time. He wasn't really dead on the cross, or he swooned, or someone stole the body, or the resurrected Jesus was an imposter, and on and on, all the explanations or ex hypotheses to explain it away. And Richie's brothers, would have, they would have said the same thing even if Lazarus, the beggar Lazarus, would have come back to them. Now, God can certainly use miracles to get our attention. He can send dreams and angels and more. But he never tells us to expect them or to wait for them. Don't wait for a miracle before you will trust in God. Instead of a threat of hell or a miracle, Abraham said... They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And the sad irony is that most of the Pharisees listening to this par parable would not listen to Moses and the prophets and later would not believe when Jesus rose from the dead. But God is 
the good Heavenly Father. He knows our hearts. He knows how to reach us. And He offers to you His word of grace. And even in all the Mo Moses and the prophets, they point forward to Jesus, the Messiah. The word from the prophet Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. God's promising forgiveness and cleansing. How will God, how can God wash our sins away? How is it that God can judge the sinner after death and carry him to heaven? And Isaiah foretold the Messiah. Isaiah 53, verses, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. God brings his mercy and grace through his son Jesus Christ. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God gave his only son. Jesus Christ was given for you. He was crucified. He was punished in your place. He was afflicted. He thirsted. He was given no mercy. He was punished outside the gate, outside the city, so that you could be brought into God's holy city. And he did this so that when your soul is judged after death, it is Jesus who will stand in your place. And by God's grace and mercy, your soul will be carried to heaven, to Abraham's bosom. So hear his word to you. It is the grace of God in Christ Jesus that saves you, that forgives your sins. Trust him and he will save you. He will give you a new heart. He will make you a child of God. He will clothe you in purple and bring you to his feast. Trust in him and he will welcome you into the arms of your heavenly father. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this parable that strikes at our hearts and shows us that you are our Heavenly Father who sees the heart, who looks at the heart, and who loves us and has compassion and mercy on us to wake us up and remind us that death decides forever and our sins will judge us and carry us down there. If we do not listen and we do not turn to God and to do this, you sent your Savior, sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we thank you for this, Lord, and we ask that you would just plant your word in, in this deep in our hearts and grant us faith to believe it and trust in it every day. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.